Welcome to the River and Wade Teaching Podcast. Just a quick note, uh, we started a new series at the start of January in 2022 called Breathing Different Air. And as a community, we are exploring the spiritual discipline of practicing Sabbath together. We as humans are bent and conditioned towards restlessness. And so we model the restfulness of Jesus in the practice of Sabbath. A note on this teaching, uh, we had a few technical difficulties, and so you'll miss the intro of this teaching by Nick Othart, but we wanted to get it to you regardless. Because I left my world for a little bit and created space to like actually experience him. And God faithfully showed up in those spaces. That often God meets us when we create time for God to meet us. Sometimes he intervenes in desperate need and overwhelming joy, and that's beautiful. We don't want to throw that away, but that seems to be more of the exception to the rule than the rule. But that in both moments, in the desperate need and the, the high moments in our spiritual lives, that like God meets us in specific times, in specific ways, but like really in specific moments of our lives. And we want to explore this idea of God meeting with us in time. It's interesting because we have this paradox around time in our culture. At the very same time, we feel as though there's never enough time. Anyone in the room? Like, we always feel like there's never enough time. We hear people say, I don't have enough time. And this is a bit of a lie. Like, if we just name it what it is. If we added another 24-hour time period to your week, it is likely that the same sorts of things that consume your time the other seven days of the week would consume your eighth day. You might watch a bit more Netflix or take a walk, but I think it is likely that we would work more and hustle more and run around more, and we wouldn't just like magically slow down our lives if we had more time. We would fill that 24-hour time period, and pretty soon, with eight days a week, we would be saying, but if I only had more time. So we constantly feel overwhelmed with our limitations around time. But the paradox comes in when we recognize that what really matters most in life is what we do with our time. I was talking with Jackie, my wife, recently about some decisions we have to make, and this idea came up, and she just said, like, what, what do you think when we're on our deathbed, what do you think we would want to be saying about what we did with our time? And I say, when the people who have passed in our life and have been close to us, like all of them at the end of their lives, look back not on the things they watched or consumed, but on what they did with their time. And that's where the paradox comes in of never having enough time, yet at the same time in life's most vulnerable moments, time becomes like the thing that matters most. And if time really is the greatest thing that matters in the world, then if it's really truly the thing we should measure by, why is it so hard to like not view our world by like tasks accomplished and places visited? Why is it so hard to view the world as what we do with our time? And while at a cognitive level, at a thinking level, we really understand this, we get it. 
But again, at like every person who's passing's final moments, final days, final hours, myself included, I remember specifically leaving the hospital to go to work when my grandfather was passing away, and he said, but we only have a little more time. So how do we learn to value time for what it's really worth? How do we learn to reorient our lives around time? Or maybe more importantly or more pointed, for the Christian community in specific, how did we actually become a community that no longer sees time as sacred? Time is just this thing that we consume as we move through the world doing whatever it is we desire. Earlier, I had you envision a time in your life that you experienced God. And now I want to ask you, when was the last time you experienced God? When was the last time you received God's grace? When was the last time you felt like you were breathing different air? When was the last time you took a walk with God just for the sake of taking a walk with God? When was the last time you visited creation to witness a bit of God's handiwork just for the sake of enjoying it? When did you last rest and breathe deeply and slow down as the great philosopher Winnie the Pooh says, to hear the sounds we do not normally hear? When we talk about experiencing God, we usually talk about the where or the who but that short changes the concept of where God moves or how God moves. The place is less important and the people less important, but what is often overshadowed is that God moves in time, that God does things in time. God met you somewhere in time. Hold on real quick. Did okay? All right. We're good. <laughs> no worries. Everybody take a deep breath. It's okay. God meets us in time. And this concept may feel like eccentric or theoretical, but it's actually really foundational as we look into understanding the role of Sabbath in our lives, that God meets us in time. God has always met his people in time. In spaces and places, sure. At church with other people, sure. In your living room around the table, sure. But always in time. The great rabbi Abraham Heschel says this, the higher goal of spiritual living is not to amass a wealth of information, a wealth of knowledge, but actually to face sacred moments. In a religious experience, for example, it is not a thing that imposes itself on a man, but a spiritual presence that imposes itself on a man in time. What is retained in the soul is the moment of insight rather than the place where the act came to pass. And a moment of insight is a fortune, transporting us beyond the confines of measured time. Time is, is holy. 
Time is God's creation. There was evening and there was morning the first day. God's design and plan unfolded into the world happens in time. And we cannot begin to see time as a gift or as an opportunity until we step back to see time the way that God sees time. For him, an infinite place for both good and bad to occur in the world. For us, a finite place for good and bad to happen in the world. But always, time is always a place for humanity and God to be together. For God and his people to meet. Time can be holy. Time is meant to be holy. In Genesis 1, we see a beautiful symmetry of the creation story where God creates light and separates it from darkness and he calls them good and he names the light day and the darkness night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And then God creates the vaults of waters above the earth and the vaults of water below the earth. And he calls the vault sky and there was evening and morning the second day. And the story continues with water and land and plants and trees and lights that govern the sky and lights that govern the night and living creatures in the sea and birds flying above the earth and the vault of the sky and living creatures on the land. And then God says, let us make mankind in our own image. Genesis 1:27 So God created mankind in his own image in the image of God he created them male and female he created them and God says to them be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and rule over it rule over the fish and animals and everything in the good world it's yours and that was evening and morning on the 6th day and then we come to this point in the story Genesis 2 verse 1 Thus the heavens and earth were completed in all their vast array. Verse 2, by the seventh day, God had finished his work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested. The Hebrew word there is Shabbat, where we get the word Sabbath. On the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. In the Genesis account, we really begin to see and understand the heart behind Sabbath. And it should be the place where we begin to foster creative imagination around God in our lives in like a Sabbath-structured week. What we experience, or what we experience when we read this story is often missed. We often view our own creation, the creation of humanity, or the creation of Adam and Eve as the climax of the Genesis story, the creation account. And while, of course, it is significant to us in particular, I think it is more appropriate to read the creation account with day seven being the climax of the creation narrative. On this day, all of God's creating is finished, is completed. So he rests, or other translations would read, he stops creating. And that's at the root word of what Shabbat says. And then he blesses again in verse 28 that humanity would be fruitful and multiply. But what is unique is not God blessing things, but this is the first utterance, day seven, when God declares something holy. Verse three, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. The first thing God calls holy in all of scriptures is time. 
And notice that God doesn't just bless the day, but he actually like finishes creating things. Everything has been made. And everything at this point, like God has considered good and very good. He blesses the procreation and continuation of animals and humans, but he uniquely blesses the seventh day. And of all things, after all of creation that God could have made holy, he doesn't make a mountain holy where we spend our lives trying to ascend this mountain to experience God. He doesn't do that. He doesn't make a place you can go visit holy. He doesn't make a sacred place where we journey to our entire life. What he does is he calls the seventh day, a day of rest, he calls that holy. He calls stopping and ceasing holy. God calls of all things, of all things, God calls time holy. And many Jewish and Christian scholars alike believe that God actually still creates here on day seven. That the Sabbath day is not for doing absolutely nothing, but quite the opposite. God creates the most beautiful things here. Some scholars suggest that God makes tranquility here. God makes peace, serenity, happiness. He brings stillness to the earth as God dwells amongst his people on the seventh day. All of these things, although this word isn't specifically used in the Genesis text, is described by the Hebrew word manuha. Everybody say manuha. Well done. This word manuha describes a resting place. It is most commonly used or known from Psalm 23 that God's, God leads me beside still waters. God leads me beside still waters, or in Hebrew, the waters of Manuha. The waters where my soul is refreshed. The time where my soul finds rest. And this word Manuha for the Jewish community goes on to become a synonym for the afterlife, what we call heaven or paradise, or the reconciliation of all things, as the scriptures say. A time of manuha, a time of shalom. And I would suggest that on the seventh day, what God is doing, he is not doing nothing, but God is actually creating manuha as he chooses to dwell with his people. And so on the seventh day, in turn, when we move away from the unceasing demand of like work and pressure and beckon that the world has on us. We move away from the world of consumption, the world of always doing. The seventh day is an invitation to be like a human being, not just a human doing things in the world, but like a human being. And we don't just rest on the Sabbath day, on the seventh day. We contribute not just to like the chaos of the world, but to the heart of the world, to the things that really matter in the world. We, we like settle into like what really matters in the heart of our home. These are where like the most important things in the Christian community actually live is like slow dinners around the table where like the dishes can wait because we're just enjoying one another. On the seventh day, like we actually get a taste of eternity in our home and in our hearts, that on the seventh day, we breathe a different sort of air. And I, in my own experience, would agree to this reality, 
that I experience God altogether differently on the Sabbath than I do the other six days of the week, that I breathe differently, slower, my pace is slower on the Sabbath than it is the rest of the week. And to be sure, this is practice, and it takes work, and it will take time, and it will not manifest tomorrow or the first time you practice Sabbath. And there are a thousand little questions to ask about what Sabbath means or could look like or how it functions. And over the course of the next two months, we're going to try to provide space to answer a lot of the big questions. But what we see clearly from the scriptures is that God's original intent and design for the world, which also means it's God's original intent and design for you, is a place of work and stopping work, a place of labor and a place of rest, a place of participating in the world of creation and then taking part in like recreating the world in our hearts moving outward on the seventh day, as we carve out intentionality within each and every week to experience God uniquely amongst the rest of the days. You see, Sabbath is not a specific day or a specific time. Sabbath is more of an atmosphere of intentionality where we experience God in the things that matter most according to him. The hope of Sabbath is that it is actually a taste of heaven on earth. And again, Sabbath flows from the heart of God. It is not earned by his people. It is received by his people. Much like grace. And because Sabbath is not at all legalistic, that's not the heart, that's not God's heart of Sabbath. It's actually one of the things Jesus rubs up against the most while he's on earth. Is the Jewish people of his day have made Sabbath highly legalistic. Actually, the only mention of like Jesus in the Gospels interacting with Sabbath is like Jesus breaking the rules of the religious elite as he's practicing Sabbath. So this is by no means like an invitation to legalism, but it is an invitation to practice a step to become a more flourishing follower of Jesus, not according to how we define things, but according to how God put the world into motion from the very beginning. Again, like grace, one of the most beautiful things about Sabbath is that you don't ever get to beat it. You don't cross it off the list or dominate it. You don't get to the end of the day and go like, I won it Sabbath. That's not what this is. You don't get to win it Sabbath because it's something we just receive from God as a gift. So much of our life has become about accomplishing tasks and getting things done, and that belongs, and it really does. It belongs six days a week, but it doesn't belong on the seventh day. On the seventh day, we just receive, and that's enough where our our value and our identity and who we are as people is, is, doesn't come from the tasks that we do and the things we get done. It comes from God himself speaking truth over us, is we rest not in our own goodness, but in God's goodness. And we enjoy the beautiful things in the world, not because we've earned them, but because God has given them to us. What we see from the story of creation is a way to reorient our lives around the pattern that God demonstrates in its creation story. That we would adopt God's pattern of living as our own pattern of living. 
In Jewish on our Thursday, it is two days until Sabbath. And over time, as you practice Sabbath and you experience the richness of Sabbath, the new air of Sabbath, your heart will begin to yearn this way without you even thinking about it. Your heart will find itself on a Thursday saying, I really don't want to go home and mow the lawn or fix the thing or do the laundry or prepare food or what, like whatever's on your list. But then you will come to a place from a prompting of the Spirit where God says, like, no, you can do the extra work today because two days from now you get to rest. You get to breathe deeply just of who I am and who you are because of me. So what ends up happening as we practice Sabbath is our entire week reorients itself around this day of celebrating experiencing God. And practicing Sabbath comes with work. My family practices Sabbath Friday evening to Saturday evening, which means that all Friday afternoon, like we're frantically preparing. We clean the house and make sure the dishes are done, take out the trash, prepare food. Like we, we have a lot of intentionality to build in a day of intentionality of being like completely present to God and one another. And over the next six weeks, we're going to try to help you discover like practical rhythms that work for you. But again, this process, the formation of becoming more like Jesus, it takes time. It takes time. But just for a second, imagine your favorite holiday. Maybe it was this recent Christmas. Maybe it was last Easter. Maybe it was some other time. But now, just for a second, imagine if you had a holiday each and every week. You had a holy day set apart where you slowed down to prepare everything that needed to be cooked the day before so you could be present to the people in your home and you ate on fine china or paper plates, whatever your family's jam is. And you stayed a little bit longer around the table because the dishes could wait. How does that sound as a start of Sabbath? And maybe that's not for you. Maybe that sounds exhausting. And that's okay. Because Sabbath is a unique practice for each of us. Maybe it's the day you let yourself order takeout and eat at home in your pajamas and watch a movie. Maybe it's a special dessert treat. Whatever Sabbath is, Sabbath becomes an intentional day where through our actions we become acutely aware of God's presence in our lives and the things we get to enjoy because of his goodness. Or as Abraham Heschel says, the soul, your soul cannot celebrate alone, so the body must be invited to partake and in rejoicing on the Sabbath. So it's not just like a, something that's reserved inside of us. It's something that like we wholly as a person participate in because our whole body, all of our life, everything we do rejoices in the reality that we get to experience and be present to God. David Brooks, who is a New York Times columnist and author of books like Road to Character and The Second Mountain, uh, speaks for a bit about um, his Jewish upbringing. And he was raised in an Orthodox Jewish home where they practiced Sabbath every Friday night. Um, and this was a sacred gathering space where they set again, like spent all week preparing for Friday night dinner. And his life was structured this way. And then he left the Jewish tradition. And Sabbath went away 
with that. And he would go on to say, like, Friday nights became the most difficult night of my life. Because these things that kept me rooted deeply to my faith tradition that I was raised in had so much meaning and purpose baked into the experience that we practiced together that when that went away, it actually became the night I felt most lonely, became the night that I felt most disconnected from my community, became the night where like I just was depressed. And again, affirmed in that, there's a, a memoir by Chaim Grade who is, is called My Mother's Sabbath Days, where he looks at remembering his life through the way his mother kept Sabbath. He again left the Jewish tradition, but his life, the signifying marks of his childhood were about his Sabbath days and the way his mother prepared and oriented their lives around keeping a holy day unto God. And what becomes distinctly clear is that there is a uniqueness of experiencing God and neighbor that really comes to life on Sabbath days. That on Sabbath days, we experience God in a different sort of way with a different sort of unhurried pace. And because of that, we actually become a bit less important than we actually think we are. We see ourselves a little more clearly in the light of reality when we stop hustling and bustling and just trying to prove ourselves to ourselves. When we allow our value to come from a different place than the things I accomplish and get done in a certain day. Sabbath stands alone as like a weekly, regular practice, not driven by circumstances or changed because of weather, but a regular practice that keeps us in the close proximity to the divine, to God himself. It keeps us close to God as intentionally dedicated time to experiencing flourishing here on earth. One of the great benefits, and there are many benefits, but one of the great benefits in Sabbath is that when we structure the like, space and pace in our lives where we learn to rest one day every seven and experience God is what we actually do is we learn to let God be God. For a whole day, not because we're passive and lazy by throwing away attempts to do anything, but for a whole day, we give up our attempts to try and control and be God. We give up our attempts to control the world around us. And we let God be God. We become aware of our own entrapment to things and tasks and stuff. We realize that rest and just being a human being that is found in God's grace is worship in itself. That our worship is not found just in the things we do, but in our being as we, uni like as we have union with God. And learning that rest is worship actually teaches us how to work is worship. Worshiping God on the Sabbath day teaches us how to worship God the rest of our week. Because what we often miss is that Jesus never actually calls anyone to work. Don't go quit your jobs. Like, slow down. What we need to be mindful of is that Jesus has called us to the vocation of following Him. 
and of glorifying God in every dimension and aspect of our lives. And while, of course, work will very likely be a part of that, let us not place like work into a different category than Jesus does. Following Jesus is the primary principle, the primary invitation from God himself to flourish in this life, to participate in life with God. Or as St. Augustine would say, Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord. You have made us for Yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in Thee. And so the critique on work is not so much on work as much as it is on the value that we place on ourselves through the act of work. We find ourselves are flourishing who we were created to be as we find ourselves in God alone, in Him alone. As we allow ourselves to be stripped away of all the things that we believe are valuable, that culture or our family or whatever has taught us, formed us to think are valuable and we intentionally stop so we can more intentionally say yes to God and the people around us. And some of you may think that Sabbath is like a way of avoiding your problems or not dealing with the stress in our lives. And some of you are already thinking about how much more stress you think actually doing Sabbath would be. But Sabbath, again, at its heart, is meant to be a day of experiencing God's grace. What if every week you had a specific day where it was, today I experience God's grace. I experience God's grace is enough. His provision is enough. His goodness is enough. And I enjoy the things that he's put inside in my life. Sabbath at its root is a weekly reminder that you depend on the grace of God, that you find yourself in him alone, complete in him. And with your life, you agree to the reality that his grace is enough from you. And from that grace, we have what is now needed to actually face the stressors in our life. I am tired of facing the stressors on my own. But from rest and from receiving grace, we actually have what is now needed to face the stressors on our life, the difficulty in our life. And this is the hard work as we apprentice after Jesus where he takes away the value system that we've inherited and he wants to build a new value system as a part of his family. So for today, I leave you with this because at the root of this teaching is an invitation to apprentice after Jesus with your life. Not just more understanding, not more information, not more knowledge. But I want to give you some really small practical steps to begin to step in to Sabbath. I want to invite you for this week first to like identify a day or a 24-hour time period that could be Sabbath in your home. And this can look like anything. It depends on the family dynamic. It doesn't have to be Saturday. It doesn't have to be Sunday. If you work Friday through Tuesday, maybe Wednesday or Thursday. But there's two invitations, so three. So pick a day and then two other invitations. I want to invite you for this week to allow God to be God in your life in one small way. And while the heart of this teaching is not about giving things up, that's not the heart of Sabbath at its core. What is reality is that there are things that we have to say no to in order to say yes to God. 
So we want to invite you to find one small thing that's an act of control. I'll share, like, when Jackie and I started practicing Sabbath, her first step was, okay, we're not going to change anything about our day, but tomorrow morning the kids don't have to make their beds. That's it. That's how we practiced Sabbath for like a month and a half. And over time, we added in what felt more and more like less control of us and more control to God. But I want you to identify one thing that can become a small step of letting go of control of your world and trusting that God, like, that God being in control is enough, allowing God to be God. And the second is an invitation is to take something that you deeply enjoy, that whether you recognize it or not is a gift from God himself, something your soul delights in, and then I want you to do that thing. Plan to have some friends over for dinner or go for a long, slow walk or take a ride to the mountains to see the snowy trees, or read a book by the fire for enjoyment, or plan a coffee date with a friend. The list goes on and on and on. But let's begin as a community to take really small steps of letting go of our feeble attempts to be God in the world and begin to recognize what begins to like restore your soul, refresh your soul to a place where you feel like you can flourish again. Abraham Heschel says, unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. Your value in eternity is not because you do things. Your value in this life is not because you do things. And we want to build in a weekly rhythm from the way God created the world to remind our, like, our body and soul and mind of this. So as we lean into this together, please again know from the very beginning, like there is grace to explore this. This cannot be perfected. You will not master Sabbath next week or the rest of your life. That is a good thing. And some of us are a little bit further along than others. But again, no one wins at Sabbath. We win as we become more like Jesus, which cares less about winning. We receive Sabbath from God as a regular time to experiencing God uniquely in our lives each and every week. Because ultimately, the fruit that comes from Sabbath isn't truly about Sabbath, but about God himself. We find rest in God. We find joy in God. We find our ability to let go of control in God. We find provision to be from God. We find ourselves, who we truly are, who we were really made to be. We find that in God and so much more. But we are invited to experience God as we step into this practice of Sabbath as a community and as we lean into experiencing God together over the next couple months of practicing Sabbath, what we actually will find is, yes, a little bit more rest. Yes, a little bit, like, a little bit less anxiety about controlling the world around us. But the heartbeat of the scriptures, the heartbeat of Sabbath is that we actually find like God himself again. That you would be able to say, like, every week I have a unique experience of God in my life that comes through a day of stopping and resting to be present to God and present to the people around you. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you that, uh, that our value, just, that just keeps coming to mind, that our value and our worth, according to you, don't come because we do the things that we do. They don't come because the jobs that we have or the money that we earn or the roles that we play, they come because you, um, because you love us and you care for us, you died for us. Jesus was crucified for us. Like, we have value because of your love. And so, God, we just, uh, even this morning, we receive that truth again. We receive your goodness again. We say no, like, we actively reject the lie that, like, I have to do things to have value in the world. Doing things is absolutely a part of being in the world, but my value comes from a good Father in heaven where my worth, my value comes from. So we repent of the times where we thought like, we thought our value came from us. We thought our value came from um, believing the right things or having the right jobs or um, even just like putting on shows in front of the right people like wearing masks to impress people around us. We repent of those things. And we come to you just as we are, broken but being made whole, incomplete but being made complete. God, we come to you just as we are, and we ask that you would continue to work in our lives, that you would continue to move us toward healing and wholeness and completeness, that like very honestly, like we can't find or have apart from you. It is only your presence. It is only in relationship with you that we are made complete and whole, God. And I'm so glad that's not something we earn. It's something we receive and then get to participate in. So Jesus, I just ask that you would like wash us anew today. You'd bestow grace upon us again today, that we would receive your grace again today. And that that would be enough. That we wouldn't need to like add to the work or the things that you have said make us complete. We wouldn't feel the need to add to those things, to like justify ourselves to ourselves. What you say and what you've done has been enough, is enough, and will always be enough. God, we receive the gift of grace again today. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Um, we're going to.